0: Welcome to the Innovators Podcast. I'm here at the Iowa State University Research Park, where innovators flourish, and my name is Allison Doyle. I'm the Chief Relationship Officer here at the Research Park. The Innovators Podcast is a vision of talking to all of the innovative people that are part of our ecosystem. Some of them are creating properties, some of them are working inside of companies. And some of them just have great ideas. We encourage you to reach out if you know of someone that you think she on the innovators podcast, and we hope you enjoy the ride. Hi everyone. And welcome to this episode of the innovators podcast where innovators flourish. I'm at the Iowa State Research Park today. Our guest today is Colin Bird, the CEO of Mott. Colin, do you want to take a second and introduce yourself to our guests today and just start with a little bit of your
1: background? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Allison. Yeah, so I'm a local Iowa guy. I graduated Iowa State in 2013, degree in agriculture and business. While I was at school, I actually founded my first company. And it's kind of been a whirlwind since then, and haven't really looked back. So Mach is now the third third company that uh, led since that time, and
0: yeah, it's an exciting new journey. Awesome. So do you want to start um, at the beginning with your first company? I know that was part of the Egg Entrepreneurship Initiative here at Iowa State, that undergraduate class. And um, just tell us a little bit about that company so that we can build up to how you got to where you are today.
1: For sure. Yeah. So the first company was called Agriculture Concepts. And while I was in the Econ 334 class, uh, which is ag entrepreneurship class, they asked us to come up with a business idea. And I had spent the prior summer, uh, a couple of years prior to that, spraying crops. And I noticed that there's a lot of crop stunting, especially where the wheel tracks were uh, next to the planter. And so I came up with a simple concept that you could while you were planting, uh, break up the wheel tracks, and so invented a product called TrackTill. Worked on that and tested that was in in school with a lot of support from NEI, and then from that point when I graduated, I was kind of encouraged to pursue that, and you know, at the time I was like, I don't know if this is really uh, worth pursuing, but I figured I didn't have any money when I graduated, so I couldn't fall very far. (laughs) Less
0: far than four. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Going from broke to broke didn't seem as threatening. So I took the leap and um, found a business partner in that company and we uh, got the product built, tested it, started selling it all across the Midwest, and then eventually had the opportunity to license it to a company called Yetter Manufacturing. Um, And so that was kind of the first uh, really uh, learning experience. It wasn't a, a super lucrative experience, but I didn't go from broke to broke. I just went from broke to a little less broke. So it was, it was a good learning experience. But I always kind of like to say that was like it was sort of like an MBA in entrepreneurship, right, that experience. And so I think part of the motivation of starting a company again after that was I had all this experience. I had done it once. And it seemed like it would be easier the second time around. So did you
0: ever have a moment after your first exit where you were like, hmm, maybe I should get a real job? Or was it, what's my next thing? That's nice I didn't really. I it was
1: interesting because sort of as I was solving this one problem, it opened my eyes to other problems, uh, mainly the lack of available and qualified labor, especially in times of you know urgency within the growing season like planting. And so I realized at that point that really a bigger problem than the compaction that I was addressing was that people didn't have enough help often on the farm, and especially at those critical times. About the same time there was a really interesting farmer I ran across up in Canada who was taking drone parts and technology and wiring them into his tractor so it would drive itself. And I was like, it was kind of a light bulb moment for me and frankly a lot of motivation to pursue uh, the next company. But I was like, if the problem is big enough that a farmer who's not an engineer, is willing to go through all the painstaking effort, learning how to program, learning electrical engineering just to solve it. And if the, if the technology is available, right? Like he's just buying off-the-shelf parts, right? So it wasn't like anything had to really be invented to solve. the problem, just had to be put together. So that for me was kind of a light like moment. And no, I didn't really take a break between the two. So that's
0: where eh? A. Is company number two correct? So I've never heard you tell the story of that formula before. That's hilarious and awesome and I'm glad he was in Canada with a lot of wide open spaces where he could um, run into things while he was trying to (laughs) get get the technology all squared away. So you come back here and think, okay, maybe
1: we're on to something. So do you start doing the same, buying your own drone parts or what happens? Um, I sort of did and actually with some of his help, he kind of directed me through some of the initial um integration but instead of putting it right on a tractor we actually started by putting it on a rc car so we we could run it into stuff and not be too detrimental so we kind of got a rough prototype working and then we did make the move to a tractor and i found some one of my co-founders uh, started helping at that point and we were able to get that it, it still did include some drone technology we were get, able to get it integrated onto a tractor and uh, there's a really good farmer locally that helped us out was super patient with us uh, while we packed away on his, uh, his you know 300,000 dollar tractor and so we did actually within a year get a system in the field and uh, driving itself not safely but driving itself during harvest and that was a it was a really good learning uh, experience and kind of gave us gave me the conviction to seriously pursue um, what became our first product, which we called AutoCart. So AutoCart was a way where uh, a farmer could install a kit that we sold onto his tractor um, and then it would operate without a driver during harvest for uh, a grain cart, so a whole grain cart around. And then he would have full control of that tractor from the his combine. So basically it was just a tablet that we would put in the combine and it would let him push a button, the tractor would then figure out where in the field the combine was, uh, what part of the field it could travel through that, you know, had been harvested already, and it would plan a route, align itself uh, next to the combine, and then follow the combine along so we could unload. Um, so it's actually, it's pretty sophisticated uh, when it when we got it all put together, and there's a lot of really smart people involved in the company that made that possible. So yeah, that's kind of the gist, like what got SmartAge off the ground, and
0: any near misses when you were talking yeah. about it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that first farmer that I mentioned? Uh, he was about done with beans, and um, at the time we didn't have any machine vision on the system, so it was it was essentially driving blind. Right, it didn't know really what was in front of it, um, and it was a prototype. It was never anything we would sell. But what we, what we realized is that if you have the speed slider set too fast and the UI is not syncing up properly to tell you that, that it can create some pretty bad situations. So one of the things that happened is uh, we we pushed a button and it went, these, these tractors are extremely powerful and they have a transmission that allows that power to move very quickly to apply it to the ground. And So all of a sudden this tractor is going from zero miles an hour to 10 miles an hour and there's a combine right in front of it and the head of the combine right there so we did cause some damage in that instance it was a little bit of a harrowing moment where we were kind of like do we really want to keep doing this
0: <laughs> but you did and so eventually that company was acquired correct
1: yep so raven industries bought smart egg in 2019 and so that actually led me to my first real job that i ever had where i was working at a at a large company and uh so then I spent two and a half years with Raven. In the meantime, Raven was acquired by Case IH. So it was really actually kind of a cool experience to be a part of that because a lot of that technology that we developed at SmartEG is now really a foundational piece of what Case IH is bringing to the market and, and for their autonomous products. Um, so they've been able to take that and develop it further and, and bring it to different machines. Because at the end of the day, some of that technology is very cross-applicable, so you can what we were doing on a tractor, you can do on other, other machines too, so they just launched a fertilizer applicator it's called their Patriot uh, that it kind of uses that there's a person that can control a driverless machine, uh, so it's kind of a cool uh, next step for what we did with AutoCard. So I'm remembering when you were developing AutoCard, one of the
0: key things that made that different in the market, I guess, was that you could go with any platform or any, any color of tractor, I guess is how I would tell it back to my grandpa at
1: the time. Yep.
0: Um, and so that became sort of a groundbreaking thing in this space. Am I wrong, I mean, about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was the first kit that you could install on a tractor and turn it, convert it converted essentially into a driverless machine. Um, so there was uh, obviously other technology for auto steering and stuff that was you know, any color we work on. But yeah, it was unique in that aspect for sure. And because we really, at that time, none of the manufacturers were prepared for autonomy uh, at, in a commercial way. So there wasn't any support from the major uh, OEMs to provide us any type of interface into those machines. So we had to create our own interface and that involved, you know, building these kits and figuring out what, what serial numbers of tractors would be a particular way so we could make the, the wiring harnesses and everything. So there's a lot involved in that part that wasn't super cool engineering, but it had to be done right to get the product out there. So,
0: so talk a little bit about your experience working with big company. So you're this entrepreneur you've always been able to call the shots and then you're in a fairly substantially sized company and then an even bigger company once the acquisition happens. What did you learn from that?
1: Yeah, it was actually a really good experience for me. So I, I realized after the fact that I was overdue for like a break, honestly. So it was eight years from the time I started the first company to when we sold SmartEgg. And yeah. so really for the first year, um, it was a it was really nice. Um, Not to have to be the guy that all the issues boil up to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Take vacation and not worry about like what's going to happen while you're gone as much. And then also just having like to learn, you know, like how to let certain things go uh, was important. I think in doing that, it it allowed me to have a lot of retrospective on the whole process, right? And I think it's easy when you're in the mix of startup life to not stick your head up and catch a breath of air and kind of gain perspective on really what's going on in life and, and, and also like you know how to how to improve things uh, in the future. So that was a really good experience. And then what I was what I was doing at Raven too was pretty exciting because they gave me a lot of leeway to explore new technology, find ways to grow autonomy, um and you know, they're, they're a great team of people, a lot of ag-focused people there. So it was, it was a great group and a lot of good experience just being able to kind of look out three to five years and say what's going to be important rather than, you know, startup. You start doing that and then you figure it out and then you're executing it, right? So it was nice to, like, be in that state of planning, so to speak. And looking at it from a different perspective too, right? You're looking at it from a much broader perspective and understanding, like, there's not just one product that we're trying to focus on. There's there's 50, you know? And so that was really a, a cool experience. And then as, as CNH um, bought Raven, things changed a little bit more and it became really about, like, how are we ensuring that Raven's integrity as a tech-focused company remains in tax, but also finding new ways uh, to accelerate Case IH's path uh, in digital ag. So there's a lot of challenges and problems and uh, a lot of teamwork involved in that, which was a cool experience.
0: So how does where you're at today come up? Do you realize that? Product roadmap, mapping? Looking five years in the future?
1: Really, probably <laughs> one of the things that was kind of a combined experience between Smart Egg and Raven was... You know, we were always focused on, with SmartEd, we are focused on the farmer. We were selling our, our branded product into the market. But we always had manufacturers coming to us and saying, look, we're making this implement, or we have this hay tool, or we have this uh, specialty vehicle. Can you help us automate it, right? We know that the technology you have can be applied to this platform. Can you figure it out for us? And I always wanted to do that, but we really didn't have the capacity. Um, we didn't have the capacity at SmartEgg, and then we didn't have it at Raven either. Raven did, does do a lot of work with what we call middle market OEMs, right, shortliners, So companies that are independent of John Deere, Egg, or case, that are building vehicles or implements for the, for the market. And so I think my hope always, and one of the things I worked on a lot at Raven, was finding a way to support that part of the market because it's an important aspect of making autonomy net happen. One of the things I like to always say is you can have an autonomous tractor, and unless you can hook up a tool behind it and it knows what it's supposed to do, it's not very useful, right? And a tractor gets used for hundreds of different jobs, and so each one of those jobs requires certain nuanced technology, right, specifically designed for that job. And so I just saw it as a big opportunity, Um, and then I realized as a part of the acquisition with CNH and Raven, that, you know, Raven's focus was expanded a lot, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, CNH has 33 different vehicle platforms that all can use autonomy at some point, right? So the roadmap for for Raven became very full, and I realized like their priority is first going to be to CNH. So it kind of gave me the opportunity, and with the support of, you know, my boss at Raven made the decision to leave pursue what is now Mock. So,
0: tell me about Mock. What's going
1: on? Yeah, so Mock is a um, It's a really cool team of people. There's actually two companies that we merged to form Mock. One is a company, an Iowa company, that's been focused on ag electronics and software and autonomy for about five years. A smaller team, but some really impressive products that I saw there. The other company is a Maryland-based uh, company that's been doing autonomy. For over 10 years, the founders of that, even longer. Um, So they were doing a lot of Department of Defense autonomy. So before anyone else could really afford autonomy, these guys were working on it. Uh, So they had just an amazing amount of experience, more than I had seen with a lot of the other teams that we had looked at over over the years. And the other thing I think that was really impressive is that they had commercially deployed over 300 um, systems. So they had over the course of uh, several years, taken autonomy to the market and scaled it, which nobody else in the industry has done yet at scale. So it was really impressive, the background there. And for me, I was kind of just like, I got to find a way to work with these people. These are This is awesome. And that talent and expertise, to me, really matched up well with the opportunity for supporting OEMs that are in the space. And so that's really what Mock is. Uh, We're a technology company focused on supplying OEM's really foundational autonomy and also automating uh, implements behind the tractor. So this is interesting and occurs to me as you're talking.
0: um, You started as as a scrappy young guy exploring the space and you have an exit. You have another accident. you do consecutively better as things go. And now you're in a place where the technology has also evolved along with your career, essentially. And so you um, made the choice to go out and find some experts who were people that you wanted to play in the sandbox with. So can you talk just a little bit about that evolution of yourself as a founder and an entrepreneur to get to this place where... This is your third time around, and you didn't have to go and find every single person this time. You found a group of people that already had it going on in two sort of separate, different areas and were able to marry them together. And then on top of that, where do you see this headed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you progress um, within any space or any career, you, you gain perspective and you gain a network. Right? And that's a big part of, I think, what helped me bring Mock about is that I knew who to talk to. I also knew the talent that was required to do this because I had built that team, right, from the, the smart egg side. And so it was kind of those two things, like understanding, you know, wh- where's the capital that can support something uh, like this merger? And then what's the right expertise to do it? And then also how to, how to talk about the vision. And so... I think that's one of the things that successful entrepreneurs learn over time is how to not sell just products, but really sell the vision of their company. And to the degree that they do that, they can be successful in getting the initial resources, right? You, you then have to execute on that vision, which is sometimes a lot harder. But I think being able to just kind of put some of those pieces together has helped You know, put mock... In, into the market now and, and put uh, this team together and, you know, help us find a way to address the opportunity.
0: So what do you see um, here two years from now?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so right now we're spending a lot of time working with a variety of different manufacturers, not all ag, which is also a we need for me, but working with a variety of different companies and manufacturers to really help them innovate, right? So and incorporating some of this very advanced technology into their offering to the market. So a lot of that is really kind of custom work. So as I mentioned earlier, every use case that you can think of in ag, there's some nuance to it, right? So we're, we're working, really relying on their expertise of the market that they're serving, the customer that they're serving, trying to incorporate that into our technology and put together a package, right, that they can take to market. I hope within... You know, three years from now, um, we've got a lot of those solutions in the market. So, one of our one of our uh, best known customers right now is a company called Gus, which is Global Unmanned Spray System. They make an entirely autonomous vehicle for glass spraying in orchards. So they're kind of a model, really, for how we want to support other companies going forward. Right, they came to Maryland Group in twenty sixteen. And they started working on a project together, got you know prototypes, started testing it, and eventually it launched it into the market. And they're selling. I think they just sold their two hundred gas vehicle uh, a couple months ago. That's exciting. Yeah. So as far as the, the space is concerned, where do you
0: see that going? I mean, right now, we're starting to hear about it more and more in traditional road crop, but is it going to be some of these specialty fruit? Vegetable markets.
1: Well, it it will. I think it'll be a combination of both. I think what you'll see with grow crops is a lot of not completely. So, like we talk about, like different levels of autonomy, right? So, level five autonomy would be you set it in your field and you leave, and it, you come back and the job's done, right? I think what we'll see, especially in row crops, is a lot more supervised autonomy, where one person is maybe controlling or four machines in the field, but they're still there. They're still involved in the operation. They're scaling their expertise to other vehicles at the same time. I think in the specialty crop space, and maybe this is partially driven by Gus and their presence there. Gus was actually uh, just, they were awarded a CES Innovation Award, and they also had have received a big investment from John Deere. And so, you know, they've made a lot of headlines and, and really kind of probably change the script for that market, um, and so I think we'll see more more companies in the specialty crop space jumping faster to level five type economy, just because that's kind of where Gus is, right? I mean, there's still a person that supervises multiple machines, but they're not they're not driving a machine. They're really not doing any of the work. They're just tending, right? They're just making sure that the sprayer is going to be rebuilt. So it'll be exciting to see how all that progresses. There's a lot of unknowns too. But I think, you know, I'm going to be out next week at the World Ag Expo in Tulare, which is like huge outdoor egg show. It's very specialty crop focused. And over the last several years that I've been going to that show, I've seen more and more autonomy, more and more technology entering that space at, a, at, frankly, a very surprising pace. Because I think companies understand that it will be adopted, very rapidly because the labor issues, specialty crops, especially in California, are just really a very, very significant challenge for a lot of producers. Makes sense. So um, can you talk a little bit about what it means from a talent perspective, recruiting people to be in a place like
0: this? We have a couple different groups here that are in the same space as you and uh, a little nucleus of companies in particular in in NA. Are they helpful to you? Is it a rising tide, floats all boats mentality, the place to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, being being in close proximity to the university is great. There's obviously quite a bit of technical talent that the university generates. One of the things I love about Iowa State in particular is the ag, the level of ag expertise that comes out of the school, right? I mean, with with our um, our location in Baltimore, I mean, you have access to a lot of great technical talent coming out of other universities there, but it's harder to find somebody who gets ag, and so that's one of the great things about being at Iowa State, and I, and I think with, with the ecosystem as a whole, yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's kind of a rising tide, and I, I think the more innovation that's happening here, especially uh, ag tech-type innovation, it benefits everybody in the space, right, because you may draw a talent from whatever coast or wherever, but they one of the things that um, in in recruiting you know engineers uh, in the past a, a lot of them are looking for okay if it doesn't work out with this startup what's my fallback do I have to move back out to the coast and how disruptive would it be if this company flops like they're willing to take those risks a lot of times but they also want kind of to hedge their bet and so <laughs> having a, having other other uh, good tech companies in the area um, supports that a lot awesome.
0: So um, I'm going to take a, a page out of the Egg Startup Engine book and ask you a question, but then I'd also like you to talk just a little bit about the Egg Startup Engine, because I know you're now in that um, space where you've been able to give back and you're mentoring mm-hmm. others and investing in that fund as well. So what do you need? I, I love that they ask that whenever everybody gets together. So I'm going to talk about Egg Startup Engine for a bit first, and then um, what you need in the business right now.
1: Yeah, um, well, Egg Startup Engine was actually the first investment in SmartEgg, and so um, it was really cool to be also the first exit um, for the Egg Startup Engine when we sold SmartEgg. And so one of the things I definitely wanted to do um, was give back to the ecosystem however I could, and for me, uh, being involved with Egg Startup Engine was a great way to do that. So you know, we have over 20 portfolio companies, all in focus, and the, the ones that are somewhat tied to ag tech and stuff that I can support. I definitely try to mentor them. You know, it, it, that's a big part of what makes an ecosystem uh, successful. And so, have, I, you know, I, I try to be a little bit of what I wish I had, especially when I was starting Ag Concepts and Tracto you know, there was really nobody that I could just rely on or talk to about like, hey, how do you figure this out? Or what'd you do here? Or, Where'd you get this money? Or, you know, who's, who's a good resource? So definitely try to try to do that as, as part of my involvement with uh, the X Start engine, and I guess to the other part of your question, you know what we I think what we need really now at Mock is just to kind of get the word out, right? So uh, this is helpful, obviously finding ways to talk about what we're doing, why it's important, because as we grow, we need we'll need more talent, and so it's important to me that. Uh, people graduating school or looking for the next step in their career, understand who we are, uh, what our mission is, and why we're excited about it. It's also important that other egg companies understand that there is an option now for them to not have to you know, try to find all that talent on their own and develop their own products um, and that we can support them in that regard. So, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest biggest ask is like share the word, you know, about it.
0: I think we can do that. So thank you very much for taking the time today. And thanks also for being a part of our ecosystem. It's interesting to hear you reflect back in um, having been around here for 15 years. I can recognize where a lot of those goals were and the services and things that we were trying to provide to entrepreneurs and certainly recognize that you've been a key piece of our evolution in the space and um, doing a better job all the time of trying to serve the ecosystem. So, thanks for coming back and starting your third thing here. Um, any parting words that you'd like to like to add for the good of the order?
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on and taking the time uh, for the conversation. I, uh, I, I love being able to continue to build the names. Um, it's a great, it's a great spot and uh, hopefully we uh, can continue to do some, some exciting stuff
0: in this space. Excellent. Well, hopefully we can have you back here in six months, time and reflect on what you've done since since today. No pressure. I only yeah, have no six pressure. months exactly. to get yeah, something <laughs> exciting done.
1: <laughs> Thank All you. Right, thanks, Allison.